I'm so pleased you came out this evening. There's some gentlemen that have a handout for you, and uh, you'll want to take this handout tonight. This is our exam. Uh, do not open the exam before we begin, or you will be disqualified and you'll get an F. Uh, just kidding. But there are actually some prizes tonight, and so this, I think, will be interesting, and I think you will enjoy it. Uh, every year when we hold Christmas, um, now my children are obviously adults, and so one year they go to their in-laws, and the other years they come here, at least right now. And I always tell them, look, you do what you want. It's your home. It might be that the worst place to be would be at our home one year, that you need to have just your own family uh, Christmas. So they come anyway, nonetheless, and we have a blast. And we always read the Christmas story. And for about 20 years, I've been giving a Christmas exam. And so this is one of many. Um, and if you were here in 2018, it was the last time we did it here. And only about um, a quarter of the questions are, are old ones. So if you were here and you remembered, you may have a cutting edge advantage. But if you know your Bible, hopefully you'll do fairly well. Everyone will need one and you'll need a pen. There's a pen in front of you if you don't have one this evening. Um, but we, uh, we get pretty competitive in our family when we hold C's and uh, these guys are standing up on their chairs and arguing their theological points and whether or not dad is right because sometimes there's a $100 prize that we'll have or we, we make the stakes really high and competitive. Nonetheless, uh, there's no $100 prizes, but there's some wonderful gifts here tonight. So what we'll do is we'll do, we'll go through, everyone still need one, just hold your hand up high. There's still some people down here who need one, Josh towards the front here, and uh, keep it up so they can see it, just kind of hold it like that so they can see it. And there's some down here, Peter, I think your wife and mother-in-law, you better take care of them, dear brother. And uh, all right, uh, we're, we're about good, everyone have one now? All right, uh, a few more, a few more. So uh, be in prayer, of course, for uh, Sunday morning, and uh, take these tickets. Take one or two. Don't be a hog if there's not a lot left, but take a few, what you'll use, and invite someone between. I just invited someone on the way here, uh, the guy who goes runs the car wash, and I've gotten to know him in the last six months, and he said, thank you. I'm going to come. I said, do you know where it is? He said, I can find it. And I said, I'll tell you where it is. And so sometimes, you know, uh, you reach out to someone and who knows what will happen with Stanley. Maybe his eternal destiny will change. Maybe he's a believer, but I don't think so. Um, but you just never know how God can use you. This is what we call pre-evangelism, but there's some great opportunities still available to us here in America. All right, I think we're good. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Our Holy Father, we're so thankful that we can gather here in the middle of the week. You said iron sharpens iron, and so one man sharpens another. Thank you for the encouragement. And you told us not to forsake our assembling together, but we are to consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds. And you told us all the more as we see the day approaching, the day drawing near. And your handwriting is all over this world as you are fulfilling prophecy once again, just as you did for the first coming of your Son. So help us to be alert. Help us to guard our hearts from evil in the day in which we live. 
that we might walk in a way that's pleasing to you. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, we'll go to page one. Uh, Do you have a Christmas card theology? Uh, Sadly, a lot of Christians get their theology from Christmas cards, but not from Holy Scripture. So we'll do a page at a time. Number one, you just want to select the best answer. Uh, My teacher in the ninth grade, Miss Mary Ryan, she was 74 years old. There was no mandatory retirement. She walked hunched over, but she was the best English teacher I ever had. She taught us not the new English, but real English grammar. And uh, she said, you either know it or you don't. And so it's true. So we won't ponder a long time. Uh, Number one, in Scripture, the parents of the Lord Jesus might rightly be named as A, Mary and Joseph, B, Mary and God, C, Mary and God and Joseph by guardianship, or D, none of the above. By the way, with each of these, there's some critical Scripture that uh, reveal clearly the answer. Number two, Joseph's city of origin is A, Bethlehem, B, Jerusalem, C, Nazareth, or D, Judah. Number three, when they were betrothed, Joseph and Mary lived in Egypt, in Bethlehem, in Jerusalem, in Nazareth, or none of the above. Number four, Elizabeth's husband, Zacharias, could best be described as an unbeliever, a prophet, a priest from the tribe of Judah, a priest from the division of Abijah. And then number five, how many dreams and angelic visions did Joseph have? One, two, three, or four. All right, so stop right there. So let's just walk through the answers. Number one, the, in Scripture, the parents of the Lord Jesus are rightly named as what? C, Mary and God and Joseph by guardianship. So that would be the best way to describe the family relationship. Obviously, Joseph is not the human father, but he is the adoptive father, so to speak, by guardianship as God assigned him. Two, Joseph's city of origin is... Bethlehem. So when the uh, taxes are registered, he has to go with Bethlehem. And by the way, Mary, of course, is from the same city, the city of David. And um, so Bethlehem is the answer there. Three, when they were betrothed, Joseph and Mary lived in Egypt, in Bethlehem, in Jerusalem, and Nazareth, or none of the above. What would you say? Yeah, in Nazareth. So it was in Nazareth that... Um, Uh, the angel of the Lord came and all those things unfolded. There's some text there. Elizabeth's husband, Zacharias, could best be described as, and you can also translate his name Zechariah, by the way. Um, English Bibles do it both ways, but not to confuse him with the prophet Zechariah, who's some 400 years plus before that. Uh, But he could best be described as what? You know it can't be C because there's no priest from the tribe of Judah, right? Priests have to be Levites. So a priest from the division of Abijah, and that's specifically what Luke 1.5 says. And interestingly, God took the Levites, and you can read about it in uh, 1 Chronicles 24, and he divided them into 24 different divisions. And so he broke them all up, 
And in the providences of God, you might maybe possibly once in your life by lot be selected to go into the presence of the Lord into the place where Zechariah met the angel. And so, um, nonetheless, uh, he's from the division of Abijah. You can read of those 24 divisions in First Chronicles 24. Um, how many dreams and angelic visions did Joseph have? One, two, three, or four? How many say one? Two? Three? The answer is four. Let's look at them real fast. Go to Matthew chapter 1. I hope you brought a Bible. Always bring a Bible to Community Bible Church, even if you think we're just having some concert. Bring a Bible. Bring a Bible. Matthew 1, 20. But when he had considered this, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife. So the angel appeared in a dream. Go to Matthew 2, verse 13. Again, we read, now when they had gone, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. All right, look at Matthew 2, verse 19. But when Herod died, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph. And again, just a few verses later, a fourth time. All right, Uh, verse um, 22. But when he had heard that Archelaus was reigning over Judea in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there, then being warned by God in a dream. So four dream experiences, all right? So mark the number right at the top. Just put the number right at the top that you got, and then we'll count them up at the end, okay? Turn the page. Everybody good? Number six, the name of the angel who appears to Joseph in a dream was Michael, Gabriel, an unnamed angel, or Harold. Which one? Now, don't be tricked. Seven, Joseph was warned not to go back. You can't look at your Bible now. Don't look, don't look. You'll be disqualified. Joseph was warned not to go back to Bethlehem because of the hatred of Herod the Great, of the hatred of Herod Archelaus, of the hatred of Herod Philip the One, the First, because of the hatred of Herod Antipas. Eight, the brothers and sisters of Jesus could best be described as not siblings, but Jesus' cousins, B, his half-siblings born of Mary after Jesus. C, his half-siblings, sons of Joseph by a former marriage, or none of the above. Number nine, Mary's encounter with the angel can best be described as Michael appearing to her in a dream, Gabriel appearing to her in a dream, Gabriel appearing to her in person, or an unnamed angel appearing to her in person. And then 10, Gabriel's words that Jesus will reign over the house of Jacob best means the church has replaced Israel and Jesus will only rule from heaven. B, Jesus' reign will start on earth and continue on into the eternal state. C, Jesus' reign is only spiritual in the hearts of people. Or D, none of the above. All right, don't turn the page. Let's correct this page and we'll go on. There's 30 questions, so... Um, number six, the name of the angel who appears to Joseph in a dream was, we just read it, 
an unnamed angel. So the angel was not named with... Uh, now, initially, like with Zacharias, an angel comes, you don't know who it is until later on. But he's never named. Seven, Joseph was warned not to go back to Bethlehem because of... How many say A? How many say B? How many say C? How many say D? The answer is B, the hatred of Herod Archelaus. So when you read the New Testament, these Herods can sometimes become a little bit confusing, but this is how I sort them out. There's five Herods in the Gospels, and there's two Herods in the book of Acts. Most of us at least know Herod the Great. Herod the Great's born about 73 B.C. He dies 4 B.C., which gives you some definitive dating on the time of Christ and when he enters into the world, right? The whole B.C. A.D. thing comes some centuries later, and nonetheless, uh, he was a mean dude. Uh, he had a number of wives. Some will say as many as ten. So there's some debate whether he had eight, nine, or ten, but he was married a bunch of times. He murdered one of his wives, Miriam. He, married two, he murdered two of his sons. Uh, he was an incredible builder and architect uh, beyond imagination. If you've been to Israel, you've seen some of the things that uh, he created. Uh, so he's the first Herod, and he's the one, of course, who calls for the murder of all the babies in Bethlehem, two and under. So how old was this? We saw a little reenactment here uh, last Wednesday night. And I think, that, how old was that child, Matt, that was up here? Almost two. All right, almost two. So that was a safe figure. Uh, probably if these wise men came from Babylon, which more than likely they did, they come from the east, who are these men going to be who have had biblical influence? They're not astrologists, as some people foolishly present them. These are wise magi who know the Scripture. More than likely, they come through the line of Daniel in terms of wise men. Uh, they know the time of the Messiah's coming because Daniel the prophet tells us that. Um, if, if that's the case, if they come from that region, it would have taken them about six months to travel. So why two and under? Well, you want to guarantee that the Messiah is murdered. So you just kill. You don't say, well, six months or eight months or everyone two and under, kill them. And then you've guaranteed that Jesus is murdered. At least that was his plan, right? So there's Herod the Great. There's Herod Archelaus. We just read about him. So they flee to Egypt. And Herod Archelaus is Herod the Great's oldest son. He's a mean dude too. He is an ethnarch. Ethnos, in terms of in Greek, is a nationality. So you had ethnarchs and tetrarchs. And ethnarch usually was over a partic particular ethnic group, namely Jewish people in his case. He's not a real Jew. He's like Herod, his father, he's an Idumean. So he's half Jewish. He comes through Esau's line. Nonetheless, um, the angel warns, don't go there. And so he listens. So there's uh, Herod the Great, there's Herod Archelaus, there's Herod Philip I. Um, he's mentioned in Luke's Gospel. There's Herod Philip II. Um, then uh, you come into, and then there's Herod Antipas. Most of us at least know Herod Antipas, right? He's the one that Jesus calls that fox. 
So he's the one who's alive. And most of us know at least Herod Philip I or Herod Philip II. Uh, Philip II is a tetrarch. He's mentioned in Luke 3.1 in reference to the birth of Christ. And that's significant. Luke is a premier historian and he drops all these little historical clues in the text. Herod Philip I, he's married to a lady that um, she ends up divorcing him. And of course, together they have a daughter named Salome and she divorces her husband and she marries his half-brother, Herod Antipas. And John the Baptist, if you remember, said this marriage is evil. What you've done is evil. And of course, he loses his head for preaching the truth. And then when you come into the book of Acts, there's just two Herods. Herod Agrippa I, he's the grandson of Herod the Great, and Herod Agrippa II. Most of us know Herod Agrippa I, remember? And they're both found in the same city, Caesarea by the sea. And so they're in the stadium at least that's how Josephus describes it. Uh, there's a big event, an Olympics of sorts. Herod goes into the stadium, and we're there just in September, about three and a half weeks before this big issue went down. And the sun was shining in the morning, and Josephus said he had on this silver robe that just twinkled. And the people said, the voice of a god, the voice of a god, and he received it, remember? and God had him instantly eaten by worms. And then there was Herod Agrippa II. Remember, Paul stood before him in the same city a couple of years later, and uh, Herod Agrippa II, you know, he said, you're not going to make me a Christian, are you, Paul? So seven Herods, it would be a good study, a good quiet time, just to sort them out. So as you read through the New Testament, you know which Herod we're talking about, all right? Um, now, that was a rabbit trail. But, uh, number eight, um, the brothers and sisters of Jesus could best be described as, how many say A? How many say B? The correct answer is B, half-siblings. Now, why do we mention the other views? Well, who holds to view number A? Yeah, Roman Catholics. That's the Roman Catholic view. So, Jerome Herimonius, who we know him best for uh, producing the Latin Bible, some of you have been with me to Bethlehem, and we can't always get in there, but we'll go into the cave of Jerome where he lived for 35 years. It's what we would call a Class A archaeological spot. And it's adjacent to the cave, so to speak, that Jesus was born in, though it doesn't look like a cave, his birthplace anymore. It's all marble and glitter and lanterns and whatever. But uh, Jerome's cave is still there, and he went to Bethlehem and lived there for 35 years because while he knew Greek and Latin, he didn't know Hebrew. So he studied under the Jewish rabbis to learn Hebrew, and he produced the Latin Bible that was used for a thousand years in church history. It was like the premier translation that believers read. And sadly, because it became a dead language, most people couldn't read Latin, and you are stuck to listen to the scholars read it and interpret it for you. Now, there are a few other translations, but for the most part, Latin, the five solas, they're from Latin. We sang a hymn tonight, Glory to God in the Highest. Oh, you're right. In Excelsius, in the Highest, Deo, God. It's a case language, so word order is different. And that's Latin. And so we have all these Latin terms we use because of Jerome. Well, Jerome came up with the bright idea that these were not Jesus' real brothers and sisters, but cousins. And that's what he taught. He was obviously wrong. 
But that's what he taught, and the Roman Catholics later latched on to that particular point of view. Now, Jerome was a great man. I believe you'll see him in heaven. And if you ever see a picture of Jerome, what's always next to him? Anybody know? A skull. And it's not like it's uh, he's you know a member of some occult group, but he put a skull in his study, and he looked at it every day because he knew life was short, and he wanted to make the greatest impact he could possibly make in his lifetime. And that was just a visual reminder of how fragile life is and that death will come. Uh, Helvidius, he taught, of course, the biblical view, and that's clearly what you can defend from the Greek New Testament because there is a word for cousins in the Bible. It's used in Colossians. There's a word for a near relative that's used to describe Elizabeth in the account. But the word that the Spirit of God uses in the Greek New Testament, the translation he inspired, cannot mean cousins or relatives. It can only mean real brothers, half-brothers in this case. Now, Greek-speaking people understood that. And so there's another view, uh, Epiphanius, and which group holds to that view that his half-siblings were sons of Joseph by a former marriage? Anybody from Ukraine here tonight? Victor, are you here? Victor, where are you? Yeah, Victor, who holds to that? That's right, the Orthodox Church. So the Orthodox Church holds to that particular view, which is, of course, erroneous. But knowing Greek, the Orthodox, they knew, well, it can't be what Jerome said. And uh, they embrace that view. But the scripture is clear. He kept her a virgin until she gave birth to the Lord Jesus. And his brothers are named, four of them, and sisters are in the plural. So there's a minimum of a family of seven, including Jesus. Could be larger. All right. Um, number nine, Mary's encounter with the angel can best be described as who? See, Gabriel. Gabriel appearing to her in person. So it's not in a dream, it's in person. And Gabriel, by the way, is one of two named angels, holy angels in the Bible. Who's the other one? Michael. Yeah, so there's only two named holy angels. There's some fallen angels that are named. And Gabriel's really is kind of Israel's angel, so to speak. Uh, and you find him four times in Scripture, twice in the book of Daniel, and twice in the Gospel of Luke. Okay, number 10, Gabriel's words that Jesus will reign over the house of Jacob means? How many would say A? Good, thank you. That makes me feel good as a pastor. Someone is listening. B, the correct answer is B. Um, so when you think of the kingdom of God, and we covered this in our prophetic series, it's described in three levels in Scripture. One, the kingdom of God in the sense that God is overall, and you see that expression, especially in the Old Testament. You see the kingdom of God is within you in the sense that when you're born again, you become members of the kingdom. And Jesus says, unless you're born again, you'll never enter the kingdom. Uh, and there, the entrance to that kingdom that he's referring to is the coming millennial kingdom. Uh, so there's three aspects to it. Okay, so correct it. Put your right number at the top. You got it? Everybody corrected it? All right. Well, good. Next page. The angel Gabriel could best be described as one of two archangels in the Bible. B, a warrior angel who appeared four times in the Bible. C, a messenger angel who appears three times in the Bible. 
or D, none of the above? What would you say? How many say A? How many say B? How many say C? Yeah, so it depends how you count. So he does technically appear in the book of Daniel twice, and he's mentioned twice in uh, Luke, but since they're in and around the same events, most people would just say three. So you can actually, um, I, I would go with the word messenger angel because he's not a warrior angel. So he's not a warrior angel. He's a messenger angel. Um, look further, if you will, number 12, when Mary was pregnant with the Lord Jesus, Jesus' step-cousin John recognized Christ as the promised Messiah, had just been conceived six months prior, A and B or none of the above. I guess I corrected that one right, right off, so we're supposed to go through. So the correct answer is, you've had a chance to write it, is what? C, A and B. So he recognizes the promised Messiah. How? When Elizabeth appears, he leaps. The Spirit of God, he's indwelt in his mother's womb by the Spirit of God, and, and the Lord uses that. The baby leapt within my womb, and she recognizes that um, he's the Lord that you're carrying, Mary. Uh, further, 13, Joseph and Mary went to Bethlehem by a decree from... Write the right answer. Don't say it out loud now. The correct answer is C, Caesar Augustus. All right, 14. Joseph and Mary traveled to Bethlehem by A, a camel, B, a donkey, C, they walked, or D, unknown. How many would say A? How many would say B? How many would say C? How many would say unknown? The fact is, we don't know. It's unknown. We have no idea. Now, it is a little bit of a journey, and if you've been to Israel with me in Magdala, the same road that Jesus traveled from Nazareth, it ends right there in Magdala along the Sea of Galilee. And, and people actually go to Israel sometimes, and they go on these hikes called Footsteps of Jesus. But it's, it's quite a hike. But if you're in good condition, sometimes people just want to walk what they walked. And, uh, but we don't know how they got there. Uh, they may have been on a donkey, it makes for a good scene in a Christmas production, but, but we don't know, do we? It's unknown. Fifteen, the animals present at Jesus' birth were cows, sheep, sheep and goats, cows, donkeys, and sheep. Sheep and goats only. Lions and tigers and bears. Oh, no. Miscellaneous barnyard animals, or F, unknown. Mark your best answer. The correct answer is, we don't know. There might not have been a single animal there. The assumption is because of the place in which he is born and the instrument that he is laid in that there's animals present. There may very well have been, but we don't know. That's what we would call eisegesis, to read into the text something that's not explicitly said. All right, correct the number of rights, put them at the top. Let's keep pressing forward. Number 16. I, I will we'll go through them, and then we'll, we'll go back. After Joseph and Mary were married, their permanent residence was in Bethlehem, Egypt, Nazareth, or Jerusalem. Mark your best answer. 17. The trip from Nazareth to Bethlehem was approximately eight-tenths of a mile, eight miles, 
18 miles or 80 miles? Which one, A, B, C, or D? 18. The trip from Jerusalem to Bethlehem was approximately six-tenths of a mile, six miles, 16 miles, or 60 miles. 19. The chapter of Scripture that gives the approximate time frame by which the Messiah would have to come by is Genesis 3, Isaiah 7, Daniel 9, or Micah 6. 7. The sign that the shepherds were to look for was a star over Bethlehem, a baby that doesn't cry, a baby in a stable, or none of the above. Okay, so let's go back and correct number 16. The correct answer is C, Nazareth, Nazareth. So their permanent residence was Nazareth. Turn to Matthew 2. It's kind of an interesting little text of Scripture here. Matthew 2, again, look in verse 19, when Herod died. Now we're talking about Herod the Great, right? The baby killer. When Herod died, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt and said, get up, take the child and his mother and go into the land of Israel. By the way, it's not called Palestine. You know, in the back of my Bibles, just about every Bible I have, it says, if you have maps, um, it will say, let's see if this one does. Uh, yeah, this one actually doesn't. That's refreshing. Most of them say, Palestine during the days of Jesus. Do you remember that on your maps? Almost every edition says that. And sometimes I'll cross it out and I'll say Israel. Palestine doesn't exist until 135 A.D. So remember, Jesus had prophesied that the Jewish people are going to be scattered. And Daniel said the same thing. Ezekiel said the same thing. Jeremiah said the same thing to the ends of the earth. What Jesus does is he hones it down to the actual time frame. And so he said you're going to be scattered to the ends of the earth. And so in 70 A.D., Titus Vespucian comes in. He wants to wipe out Jerusalem. The Jews put up a tremendous fight. 100,000 Jewish people are crucified. They crucified so many people, they ran out of trees. And the descriptions of some of the historians of the day, especially Josephus, it's so vivid. Just the blood loss and all that took place. Well, they took over, but they didn't get rid of all the Jews. And so there was kind of a, a little revival that took place some years later by a guy named Bar Kokhba. And so we speak of the Bar Kokhba revival about 132 AD. And they held out. The Romans were absolutely enraged. And so there was no mercy this time. They went in in 135. They virtually wiped out every Jewish person. They removed them from the land though there were pockets of Jews throughout Israel, but for the most part, they were gone and scattered to the four corners of the world. And that's what Jesus said would happen. And it happened precisely. So he renames it after their enemies, the Philistines. It comes out the Palestinians. And so that's a whole grammar thing in itself and letters that certain people can pronounce. And like, we got people from Ukraine here and they pronounce W's like V's and, you know, and so forth. And, um, 
And so there are some letters that some languages don't have that we have in English. So anyway, Palestinians. They call it Palestine. And so understand it was Palestine for the next 18 centuries. Even when the British run it, it's called Palestine. What were the Jews called under the British mandate? Palestinians. It was called the Palestinian Post, not the Jerusalem Post, the Palestinian Post. It was called the Palestinian Orchestra, not the Jerusalem Orchestra. And so in the 60s, there was a guy who is very creative and an Arab, and he wants to restrict the term just to Arabic people with a claim on the land. And so there's no race of people, understand, known as Palestinians. It's a, it's a geographical term. Just like Southerners are not a race of people. It refers to a geographical location. So, here we are. I almost forgot. <laughs> when Herod died, behold, an angel of the Lord, verse 19, chapter 2, appeared in a dream to Joseph. Get up, take the child, go into the land of Israel. That's what it's called in Jesus' day. Ge'o Yitzrael. Ge'o, we get our word geography from it. Land of Israel. For those who sought the child's life was dead. So Joseph got up, took the child and his mother, and came into the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus, that's Herod Archelaus, the son of Herod the Great, was reigning over Judea in the place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. Then after being warned by God in a dream, he left for the regions of Galilee. So Galilee is a province, if you look on your map sometime, north of Judea. Judea, you know, you think of Jerusalem and Judea. So it's not a city, it's kind of a province. And they came and lived in a city called Nazareth. Now look at the next rest of the verse. This was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophets. He shall be called a Nazarene. Not through the prophet, but through the prophets. Because the consensus of the Old Testament prophets is that Messiah would be a part of a despised group of people. And that's what the folks from Nazareth were. That's why we have a guy who asked one of the disciples, can any good thing come out of Nazareth? Those are the hillbillies, those are the hicks. Those are nobodies. And that's where God Almighty decides to take up residence. It's a beautiful picture. Uh, the trip from Nazareth to Bethlehem was approximately, the correct answer is D, 80 miles. So they traveled 80 miles. And again, the footsteps of Jesus, they'll, they'll take that path and they'll do about 20 miles a day and they'll hike over a week to go from Nazareth. And that same road, that same trail is still there virtually untouched. Um, the trip from Jerusalem to Bethlehem was approximately six miles. So Bethlehem is just adjacent to Jerusalem. And so on the eighth day, they bring him to the temple to get him circumcised. And then on the 40th day, of course, when a Jewish boy is circumcised, that's when he's named officially. And that's true to this day. All the Orthodox Jews, they name their sons on the eighth day. And then, of course, he's um, brought there for purification rites on the 40th day. Um, I already gave away number 19 if you were listening. The correct answer is Daniel 9. So Daniel 9, the 70 weeks prophecy. I didn't say the chapter, I just said Daniel the prophet pinpointed the timing of Messiah. 
So how did the Magi, so to speak, if they came from the line of Daniel, know that this was the time that Messiah would appear because God gave a mathematical prophecy. That's why Simeon and the temple was expecting and awaiting the kingdom of God. That's why Joseph of Arimathea, who's involved in burying the Lord Jesus, is said to have been waiting for the kingdom of God. Why? Because this was the time frame that God said the Messiah would come. And by the way, many a Jew have been converted by studying the 70 weeks prophecy of Daniel. The sad thing today is most Jews don't read the Bible. What they read is the Mishnah and the Gemar and, and basically commentary on the Bible. They, were, in that respect, are more like Roman Catholics. So I have a Jewish rabbi friend, some of you know, Hanak Teller, and he came to meet the pastor one night. And so we were quoting in the book, Would You Like to Know God as Your Friend, where God spoke through the prophet Isaiah that a virgin will conceive and bear a son, and she'll call his name Emmanuel, L, one of the Hebrew names for God. God literally with us. You know what he said to me? He said, I didn't know that verse was in the Bible. In fact, Isaiah is virtually a forbidden book for Jewish people to read. So most Jewish young men don't know the Scriptures. They read commentary in the Scripture, and of course, that's the Roman Catholic's position. They say, you're ignorant. <laughs> Only the magisterium can interpret the Scripture for you. And that's why we never read the Bible growing up because it was useless for us to read it, because the only thing that mattered is what the church said the Bible meant. And that's really this oral tradition that was codified after the Jews were spread and scattered. They realized, we're going to lose all of our traditions, so they wrote it down. And that's what, when they go to a seminary, which is a place that women go to study, or yeshiva, which is what we would call a seminary historically in this country, where men go to study. They don't study the Bible for the most part. They study what the rabbis said about the Bible. But there's a fresh movement of God right now in Israel where younger men in their 20s are beginning to explore the Scriptures for the first time. And of course, there's only one evangelical seminary in all of Israel. And one of those key leaders will be speaking in 2024 here in our church. So I'm very, very excited about that. Um, but God is working. There's now over 30,000 Messianic Jews living in Israel. Of course, I follow one of these guys who's become a friend with me, and he was, they were just kind of grieving because they've lost four Messianic Jews in this battle with the IDF just recently. About what too is happening through this war is you have these Jewish soldiers who are praying over their weapons and over their ammunition. And that's significant because so many of the Jewish people are so secular. And so God is stirring the pot. He not only has to first gather them physically, Ezekiel says, but then he has to revive them spiritually. He's always had a remnant. Paul reminds us in Romans 11, so don't say, well, that person's Jewish. He can't become a Christian. So God always has a remnant. We have a Jewish brother here tonight who believes in Yeshua as the, as the Savior. He's always had his remnant. But there's coming a day when there's going to be a huge revival. 
And then God is going to use the Jewish people to bring the gospel to the whole world. Jesus said, this gospel of the kingdom shall go to the whole world. When? During the tribulation period. And then the end shall come. 20, the answer is D, none of the above. All right, mark your answers accordingly. Mark your answers. The correct ones at the top, just write a total. Number 21, let's just go through this page. Two more pages, we're almost there. 21, the heavenly host mentioned when Christ was born can best be defined as the angel at the gate of heaven. B, the angel who invites people to heaven. C, the celestial bodies above. D, a large group of angels, or E, none of the above. Mark your best answer. Number 22, on the night Christ was born, in addition to Mary and Joseph being present, we know there were shepherds and wise men. We know there were shepherds and Pharisees. We know there were shepherds and the little drummer boy. And we know that there were shepherds only. Mark your best answer. 23, the wise men came to worship the Lord Jesus in the presence of Joseph and Mary at the manger, in the presence of Joseph and Mary in the house, in a house. C, in the presence of Mary in the house, or D, in the presence of Joseph in the house. 24, the wise men knew they had found the Messiah because they saw the star, excuse me, because they saw the, a lion and a lamb laying down together in peace, a star over the birthplace, a baby in a stable, or none of the above. Mark your best answer. In 25, the Magi described in the Bible could best be described or classified as men involved in astrology, men who were founders of the Masonic Eastern Star Rite, men who were kings and astrologers, Men who are astronomers and prophetically alert. All right, so let's just correct it. The heavenly host is what? What's the correct answer? So it is true, I heard people say, see, that the heavenly host can be used to describe like the stars and the moon and those things above. It's used sometimes that way in the Hebrew text. But I said the heavenly host mentioned when Christ was born is going to be a large group of angels, D, right? Okay. 22, on the night Christ was born, in addition to Mary and Joseph being present, how many said A? How many said B? How many said C? How many said D? D is the correct answer. We know there were shepherds only. 23, the wise men came to worship the Lord Jesus. The correct answer is... How many said A? B? C? D? The correct answer is C. So Joseph's not present when the wise men show up. Read the text carefully. And they're obviously not at the manger. Now we, I think out there they have the, the wise men like out here and here's the manger scene. You know, they're, they're in traveling and so they come some months later. They're not there the night Jesus is born. They don't come to a, a place where there's a manger. A manger, of course, um, the word manger refers to a feeding trough. For the most part in Israel, they're made out of limestone. 
and they're carved out, and you put the feet or the water in the top of it. I have a picture of me lying in a manger in a trip I went in 1989. There was a manger about this big, and I got up in it, and I said, take my picture. Uh, so it's a feeding trough, but they're in, they're in the house. So some months had transpired. They're still in Bethlehem, and they're in a house. Okay, 24. The wise men knew they found the Messiah because... The correct answer is D, none of the above. So there's no baby in a stable. Again, the wise men show up at a house. There's no star over the birthplace. Now, I know when you make those mangers and you got the big glowing star at the top of the manger and the little crib below, well, the star didn't stop over the manger. That was not the sign that was given to the, to the shepherds. They were going to find a, a baby swaddled. Um, 25, the Magi described in the Bible could best be classified as, the correct answer is D. They're astronomers, uh, and they're prophetically alert. That's how I would best describe them. They're certainly not in astrology, like these guys are in, you know, voodoo of sorts. Astrology is the occult. These are prophetically sensitive men, and that, by the way, is expressing their gifts all by itself. 26, last page. The number of wise men who came to worship were 3, 4, 12, or an unknown number. Mark your best answer. 3, 4, 12, or an unknown number. 27, the Bible reveals that the star that appeared to the Magi was continually visible, was over the manger, was appearing, disappearing, and reappearing, or none of the above. 28, that the baby should be named Jesus was told to Joseph only, was told to Mary only, was told to Joseph, Mary, and Zechariah, John the Baptist's father, were told to Joseph and Mary. Mark the correct answer. 29, that God gave instructions to name the Messiah Jesus, or Yeshua in Hebrew is important, because they did not like the title Emmanuel, because Jesus was a good Jewish name for a boy, because it expressed the reason for his humanity, or none of the above. And then finally, this year for Christmas, I will gather with God's people as on the Lord's day, worship the King of kings and Lord of lords, Invite someone to our Christmas services. Pray that people find Jesus during the season or all of the above. Select the best answer. You better write E. <laughs> all right, number 26. How many wise men? An unknown number. So there's not, the three is just mythological. Uh, they typically, if some of the early historians are correct, traveled in large groups, there could have been 33. There were three gifts, but we don't know that they're the three wise men. Now, the Roman Catholic Church has actually named the three wise men. They have names for each of them. And if you go to a, a famous church in Germany, you can see there are three skulls in their names below the skulls. Now, that church is filled with icons right down to a vial of breast milk from the Virgin Mary. I'm serious. It's unbelievable. Um, you know, you heard about the uh, tour guide and he's in this great church and, you know, you go to some of these places where there's icons everywhere and he said, 
This, my friends, is the skull of the Apostle Paul who was beheaded here in Rome. Ooh, Paul's skull. About two hours later, they're in another church, and he says, this, my friend, was the skull of the Apostle Paul. And one thinking person said, now, wait a minute. He said back in that other church was Paul's skull. And this one, I mean, it's much smaller. He said, well, this was Paul's skull when he was a little boy. <laughs> anyway. Uh, <laughs> number uh, 27. The correct answer is... C, it's appearing, disappearing, and reappearing. Let's read that text for a moment. Matthew 2, 9 through 11. After hearing the king, they went their way, and the star, which they had seen in the east, went on before them until it came and stood over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. After coming into the house, they saw the child with Mary's mother, and they fell to the ground and worshipped him. So you have to start back in 2-1, but the star appears, disappears. So there's a number of theories people have made. Kepler, who in 1603 writes, well, this was a, a number of stars coming together, a confluence of stars. And there was such a confluence of stars around 6 B.C., and so he dated the birth of Christ at 6 B.C. Well, interesting, though, the Spirit of God uses the word star for a single star. That's what the Holy Spirit inspires in the Greek New Testament. So Kepler was wrong. But people will often come up with these secular explanations in terms of how you explain the miraculous. And it makes for great planetarian shows around Christmas every year, but it's just not accurate. Not to mention there's a pronoun that goes with the word Kakov, his star, um, and it's more like a guidance vehicle. It appears, it disappears. They're like, you know, like a dog chasing a rabbit. And then in the end, it literally shines over the house in which Jesus is. It's more like a spotlight. So there's no human explanation for it. It's, it's a miraculous star. 28, that the baby should be named Jesus. How many say A? How many say B? How many say C? The correct answer is D, told to Joseph and Mary. Now, Zechariah was told what his son's name was going to be, John, but both the angel told, an unnamed angel told Joseph, you're going to name him Yeshua, and Gabriel, probably the same angel that Joseph meets, though we're not told that, so I would be reading into the text, you're going to name him Jesus, Yeshua. That God gave instructions to name him is important. Why? You shall call him Jesus because he will take, right? So C, because it expressed the reason for his humanity. He's coming to bring salvation. And that's what the name means. Yeshua, Yehovah, or Yahweh, you could say, saves. All right? Mark your correct answers at the top. So, 30 questions. Four gifts. How many got 30 right? Oh, that makes me feel good. Oh. No, I'm kidding. You know, I had this professor in, 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 in college, at Boston College, and he said the test was not good. 
if everyone gets everyone right. He just didn't like that. Um, how many got 29? Well, let me say, how many got over 25? Oh, over 25, one and over here. Okay, how, what number? What number over 25? Was it 25 or 26 or what was it? I can't hear you. 25, what'd you get, Drew? I can't hear you. What do you say? 28, what'd you get? 25? Oh, yes, sir, what'd you get? 28, did anybody else get 28? You got 28? Oh, she got 28. Are you serious? You got 28 too? All right. No, do you have uh, do you have this children's holy Bible? That's a study Bible. That's a New American Standard Study Children's Bible. That's a great study Bible. And here's a regular one for you. Okay, how many got? Oh, so so um, hand that over there if you would. Thank you. What was the next number down? I know I heard twenty-five. Did twenty-seven? You already have it. Uh, What'd you get? Twenty-five, and you got twenty-five. You got twenty-five. Anybody get twenty-six? What'd you get? Twenty-six. So you have who else got twenty-six? Oh, okay, okay, I'm coming over. You got 26? Good for you. I'm going to give you this one. This is, are the unevangelized really lost? You know the question that people ask? If Jesus is the only way to God, as the Scripture teaches, how can God be just and holy and loving by sending someone to hell for having never even heard the name of Jesus? How can God condemn them to hell for not believing in a Savior whose name they've never heard? By the way, that's one of the ten most commonly asked questions. So are the unevangelized really lost? Good job, brother. And who was over here, this young man? How to prove the Bible is true. So I was speaking to someone today, this very day. How do we know the Bible is God's Word? Well, we know it on two levels. I'm out of gifts. I'm out of gifts. Um, we know it on two levels, right? We know it instinctively because it's alive and sharper than a two-edged sword, just like we know God exists. Now, we can give, you know, four or five proofs for the existence of God, but all men already know God exists. And that's why the Scripture gives one half of one verse in defending the existence of God. The fool has said in his heart, there's no God. Men innately know there is a God through creation, through conscience, through care. So biblically speaking, there is no such thing as an atheist. Now, that doesn't mean that I wouldn't give some of those arguments and you know as to the creation of the world proves he exists. His fingerprints are all over it and your conscience within. We had a missionary here years ago. He's now retired and he spent decades in Papua New Guinea, and when he goes to reach the Arumba people, they'd never seen a Bible, never heard the Ten Commandments, but this group of 28,000 had a certain moral code within that community. They knew it was wrong to murder people. They knew it was wrong to mess with your neighbor's wife. They knew it was wrong to steal. 
Where did they learn that? Not having the law, they are a law unto themselves and that they show the work of the law written in their hearts, Paul says, right? Romans 2. They knew it innately. Why? Because God wrote it into their DNA. Now, a person can suppress that truth and develop a callous conscience, even a seared conscience, even what the writer of the Hebrews calls an evil conscience where you call good evil and evil good. But innately all men know God exists through creation, His invisible attributes, His divine nature are clearly seen through the things He has made so that men are without excuse and through conscience in His provisional care, as Jesus argues in the Sermon on the Mount. Likewise, all men know the Bible is the Word of God. How so? Because when it's read, when it's taught, when it's preached, it's alive, it's sharper than a two-edged sword, it pierces the heart. No one will be able to say before the living God, well, you know, Lord, I never went through Dr. Brogy's five proofs for the Bible being the Word of God, so I'm not responsible. God would say, no, you innately knew the Scripture was my Word. You read the Bible. We had to read the Quran and the Book of Mormon when I was at Dallas Seminary. It was painful. It's not the same. You read the Holy Scripture and it is alive. It pierces and penetrates the heart like no other book. That's not to say that we wouldn't give evidences to show that the Bible is God's only Word. And if you have young people in your home, they're going to go off to the university. They should know why they believe what they believe. There's the discovery class. But sadly, a lot of folks just show up for church and they don't take advantage of that 45-week course. Matt's been teaching it for, what, 20 years, Matt? And There's a section in that course, the 10 most commonly asked questions. Your kids ought to be able to know how to defend the Bible. Why? Because when they get to the university, it's going to be a tax. And they need to know why they believe what they believe. All right, that was fun, wasn't it? <laughs> okay.